I want to welcome you all this morning. Um, it's good to be here with you. I know in the time I've been gone, we actually have uh, quite a few new folks, I think, that have started coming. So just to introduce myself, my name is Drew. Um, I work here as uh, our next-gen minister, and um, it is my privilege and honor to share the word this morning. And so uh, I want to thank uh, Pastor Tim for uh, giving me the opportunity uh, to do so and um, just know uh, how serious I take it when I get to bring the word to you this morning. And so uh, I want to start off with a couple of questions, and uh, one of them, which you may have been on the giving end of or the receiving end of, okay? Um, has anyone ever experienced either, maybe, maybe you experienced this as a parent, maybe as, I hope that came out as parent, not parrot, Okay, sorry about that. Uh, as a parent, or maybe in the workplace, uh, as a boss, or something like that, where you asked someone to do something and they responded with an attitude. Um, I'm sure none of us have dealt that. We've never, we've never been the one to give the attitude or receive it, right? Um, we've probably been in both shoes, let's just be real. Um, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing, like at my house, uh, I asked one of my kids to put a, a toy away or something like that. Well, I didn't get it out. Or the eye roll, or whatever else that shows, like, don't you dare speak to me right now. Uh, kind of an attitude, right? Like, we've been in those spots, those things happen um, because somebody thinks I shouldn't have to be the one to do that, or maybe um, we think the task is below us for some reason, um, or we try to wait it out, right? Um, because you know what? Somebody else will do it at some point um, because it has to get done. It just doesn't have to be me, somebody will do it. And there's this attitude that's present that persists there. Um, and I'm going to be honest, that's one thing that drives me bonkers uh, with my kids, um, is that attitude and that eye roll, refusing to do something because um, it wasn't their fault or whatever. I'm like, yeah, but it wasn't mine either, so why do I have to do it, right? So it goes both ways. And so we have this attitude. In our passage today, uh, it tells us what kind of attitude we're called to have. Um, and it combats those things. Uh, I'm gonna, uh, has anyone ever seen the movie Remember the Titans? Okay, it came out in 2000, so 23 years ago, all right? Um, wow, um, it's been that long already. Uh, so it came out in the year 2000, and there's a line in this movie that has always stuck out to me, and so there's two players that they're in a heated argument. One of them is the captain, one of them is uh, one of his players, and the captain calls out the player for something that he does. And uh, the player responds and looks at him and says, attitude reflects leadership, captain. And walked away. And I was like, wow, uh, that line sticks with me for a lot of reasons. But attitude reflects leadership. And so I started thinking about what that means. And I've dwelled a lot on that statement, right? Uh, it has an impact in how I lead my house because I'm the I'm, as, as the one in a position of leadership, how, how my attitude is portrayed in my own household. It's going to be what my kids see and what they model, right? Because attitude reflects that. And we see for us, as for those of us that follow Christ and our walk with him, Jesus is our leader. And so our attitude's called to reflect his leadership and everything that we do in our life. And so this morning... Before our actions can be what we want, what, what God wants them to be, it starts with a change in attitude. 
So this morning we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, looking at verses 1 through 11. We're going to see what this looks like. We're going to see how Jesus exhibits this attitude uh, as our great example and as our great leader. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, um, and we're going to read this uh, now. So yeah, I was like, I think the translation up there is different than my Bible, so I'm just going to read from the screen to make it a little simpler, okay? Uh, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, uh, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, and by the way, the answer to those is yes, there is, uh, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition and vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, or as uh, the CSB says, adopt the same attitude as Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray this morning. God, as we open your word, as we approach your word, as we seek to understand your word, God, give us what we're going to even talk about today, God. Give us humility to approach it knowing that we don't know it all, that we need you uh, to open our minds, to open our hearts to what it is that you want to say. God, just uh, teach us what you desire, encourage us in whatever ways we need challenge us in whatever ways we need this morning. And um, God, just help me to be faithful to the text. In your name I pray. Amen. And so this morning we're going to look at this as um, we set this up. Uh, well, let's be reminded about the book of Philippians, okay? So the book of Philippians, written by Paul to the church of Philippi. The church uh, of Philippi has been loyal, loyal supporters of Paul. They've been generous givers uh, to his ministry. And as Paul writes this book, he's thankful for them, but he talks about how they can find joy in the midst of their suffering and in all the things that are going to come their way because they choose uh, to follow Jesus. And he speak, speaks of that early and often throughout the books. And one of the ways that he's able to find joy in suffering is looking at what is ahead, right? And we're going to see that even in the passage today. So Philippians 2 verse 5 is kind of the uh, transition verse of this piece, that it says to have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. As a matter of fact, some of your Bibles may separate this after ver between verse 4 and verse 5, depending on your translation. Some of them just keep it flowing. Um, and so uh, it's a transition verse that says to have the same attitude as that of Christ, or the same attitude amongst yourselves. And so what Paul was saying to all of them was that all believers need to have this attitude or mindset. He was encouraging them to have the same attitude and actions of Jesus. And so that attitude includes what's described in verses 1 through 4, and then verses 5 through 11 speak to how Jesus did it. And so here's our main point today, our main focus. An attitude of humility leads to actions of generous service. 
An attitude of humility leads to actions of generous service. We're not going to be generous in how we choose to serve one another if we're coming at it from a position and an attitude of I'm better than you or I'm higher than you or whatever, insert here, whatever that thing is that's prideful, that's getting in the way. So an attitude of humility leads to actions of generous service. We need the attitude of Christ before we can replicate the actions of Christ. And so Ephesians 6, verse 7 says, To serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people. 1 Peter 5, 5 tells us to clothe ourselves with humility. Now we don't wear it to be seen like the Pharisees, but when we clothe ourselves with it, others are going to notice. And we want to serve others with humility, motivated by our love for God. So what does that look like today? What does that look like? What do these verses share with us about what it looks like to live humbly? And here's the first point that we see, and I'm looking at this in verses 3 and 4. It seems simple, and yet, in the world we live in, it's much more difficult than we'd like to admit sometimes. This humility considers the needs of others, all right? Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And so Paul speaks out against selfishness and conceit, and and this conceit that he speaks of is seeking personal glory. So how often do we do something when we're seeking the glory to be on us instead of trying to direct the glory towards the Father? He's like, no, that's wrong. Don't do that. Don't seek that for yourself. Seek to pass that off. Seek to point people to to the Father and to Jesus. And so Paul doesn't say, uh, one thing I want to make a point of here. Paul doesn't say to ignore your own interests altogether, okay? Um, Because I think there can be that flip side of this too, right? Because he's talking about this. He says, hey, make sure that everyone looks out uh, for the interests of others. But he says not only for his own interests. Did you catch that? So we do still, it's not that we neglect ourselves altogether, all right? That's not what he's getting at. But we need to avoid the temptation to consider only our own interests. Because the flip side is, I focus only on myself and never on anyone else. And it's all about me, me, me. That doesn't sound like the world we live in, does it? That's everywhere, right? Everything's always about me. How quickly can I do something? How good can I make myself look on social media? How good can I this, me, me? That's the world that we live in, but that's not what we're called to do, and that's not what humility looks like. But what he does say is to consider others' interests as greater than our own. So don't be selfish. It's a countercultural idea. It's a countercultural mindset. And it was interesting that this is the direction we came with this morning. Uh, I had a conversation um, with Mike uh, O'Fallon a couple weeks ago, um, and uh, we were talking about this uh, in the context of marriage, but it applies here as well, um, that we talk about, you know, like in marriage, we have God first, then our spouse next, then our kids, and then us all the way at the bottom, and so the question came up in that context of, well, then who's taking care of us, right? If we're all the way at the bottom, then who looks after us? And it's that same mindset, right? We've always been taught God, then others, then self, right? Is that seem familiar? Like, that's, that's the way we've been taught. And so, so what does that look like? How can, then nobody's looking after me, right? And so in the marriage relationship, in that conversation, we talked about, well, if, if I'm last on my own list, but I'm second on my spouse's list, my spouse is still going to help to take care of me, right? Well, here's what this looks like. In the church, we're called to take care of one another. 
right? There should be others in the church that can do that for us. So if I am thinking of others, if I am focusing there, the body of Christ as a purpose of serving one another, if I'm focusing on serving my leaders or my students or my young adults, then who's serving me? Who's helping to look after me? There should be others in the church that can do that because the scripture calls us a body, right? We have to work together. We have to look to help one another and to serve one another. And so somebody should be there to be willing to do that for each one of us. And when the church functions as it should, we should be serving one another well. And when we do that, the needs of the body are met. And so this humility considers others as greater than ourselves. And we read that in verses 3 and 4. Verse 5 then transitions to show us how Christ had this attitude. And that takes us to our second uh, idea this morning, which is that humility lays aside rights and positions. Humility lays aside rights and positions. Um, And I don't mean like your position on whether something is wrong, all right? I'm talking about like your position, your place of authority or things like that when I use the word position here. In verse 6, let's read verses 6 and 7. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. This is the CSB that I'm reading here. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And so this passage is viewed as one of the main Christological passages of the New Testament. It has great theological significance uh, as it reveals Jesus' dual nature as being fully divine and fully human. But the term Paul uses here for existing in the form of God emphasizes the essence uh, of a person's nature, so his continuous state. And so in doing so, what Paul says is that Jesus is God and he has been God. And so while Jesus was God and he is God, he sets it aside. He's still God. He sets that aside, that position aside, to take the lowly position of a human. Did you guys catch this? Jesus leaves the highest position at the right hand of the Father, in heaven, in glory, and he came and he took the lowliest position, that of a human servant or slave. He left perfection to come to a sinful place full of pain and hurt. He then experienced pain and suffering much like we do. Y'all, this is a dramatic shift. And I don't know about you, but once I taste heaven and what it's like, I'm not gonna wanna come back here. You know what I mean? Once I taste heaven, I'm going to want to be there. I'm not going to want to come back. Jesus lived there. He experienced the glory that is in heaven. He experienced everything that he could there, and he willingly came here. That's mind-blowing, y'all. That is mind-blowing. And so Jesus leaves that high place, comes to the lowest place. He could have clung to his rights which is what that term means, which says to grasp. He could have clung to them and never let them go. His rights, his benefits, the blessings that he had as being God, but he set them aside and he took a different position. He didn't cease to be God, but he also didn't use his position as God to his advantage. And so a humble attitude of service doesn't concern itself with having a high position. We don't serve because we are in a certain position. We don't serve because we find identity in our service. We serve because we want to imitate Jesus. That's what he did. In verse 7, it says that he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. And so when it says he emptied himself, it doesn't mean that he surrendered his identity, but he added humanity. He didn't literally empty himself of his deity. He was still God, but figuratively he did so. 
He surrendered his rights. He laid aside his heavenly glory, his eternal riches, and his independent authority to come to earth as a man. But not just as a man, as a slave or a servant. See, this new position that Jesus took was one that was deprived of most basic rights. So you go from somebody who has more rights, more benefits than anyone in heaven at the right hand, and he comes and takes the position of a servant or a slave that had very few rights. Very few, if any. And so Jesus gave up that. He left perfect glory and perfect communion with the Father in heaven to come and to be ridiculed, to be beaten, to be spat on, to be humiliated, and to be killed. No other religion and no other God would be willing to do that for you or for me. So Jesus sets aside his position and his rights, and he shows us what an attitude of humility looks like. And I can just be honest with you right now that God's really been using this point uh, in my own life and challenging me and what it is that I need to lay aside in order to be effective for his kingdom. Because when I grasp and I cling to certain things, they get in the way. As a matter of fact, if I'm clinging to something, then I can't approach God empty-handed. And that's how we need to approach him. God, use me however you need. And to approach him empty-handed. we got to let go of whatever it is that we're clinging to. So may we all consider what it is that we need to set aside in order to live with that attitude of humility. That takes us to the third point for this morning, which is that humility leads to sacrificial service. And that's verses 7 and 8. Humility leads to sacrificial service. He emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. I'm going to skip down. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. So Jesus assumes the form of a servant, and in doing so, was obedient to the point of death. And not just any death. You know, it's specific when it talks about what kind of death. And that's because they want to emphasize the fact that this death was one of the most, was, was the most excruciating death sentence they could offer. It wasn't quick and painless. It was long. It was drawn out. The pain and agony was on and off until his final breath. See, Jesus' humility and laying aside his rights and his pride enabled him to prioritize and serve others. In Luke chapter 22, verse 27, it says, For who is greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? And you know that the disciples' answer would have been, yeah. Yeah, it's the one who reclines at the table. That's the one that's, that's the, great, the greater. And he's like, but I'm among you as one who serves. Like, corrects them right there. He's steering them the right way. Right? Matthew 20, verses 26 to 28. Whoever would be great... Sorry, I have it differently here. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. You can keep going. Thank you. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Did you catch that? He came to serve. Purpose. Why Jesus came. And yet we have a problem with being willing to serve other people. Because it's about me. Come on. Let's get it right. Jesus came to, be, to, to serve, right? Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior of the world, didn't come to earth for people to serve him. That will come, as the end of the passage tells us, when we're all bowing our knee before him, right? 
But he came to the world in order to serve us. Does that not blow your mind? The king of all the universe became a servant and served you and me first. Before we even have the chance to serve him, he came and served us. That's nuts. Think of people in high positions of authority. How many people can you think of that would come over and clean your house and wash your car for you? You might want them to, right? How many people in, in positions of high authority, high government ranking officials or whatever, because, you know, people thought that Jesus was going to come in as an earthly king, right? But that's not what he did when he came the first time, right? So think about those people. Do you think any of them would be willing to come over and wash your car for you? To clean the nastiness that's hiding in the closets of your houses or the bathrooms? If they really cared, maybe they'd pay somebody else to do it. <laughs> but they wouldn't come and do the work themselves. But Jesus did. He came and did the dirty work. He came and did the work himself. He gave everything that he had for you and for me. He came to be a servant of people and to serve to the point of sacrificing everything that he could. He came as a servant of all in order to bring the opportunity of salvation for all. See, through his perfect life, his unjust, unjust death on our behalf for our sins, his defeating of sin in the grave upon his resurrection, we can have salvation. Hope for this life and for eternal security because our God humbled himself and came to earth to serve. It's why he came. And if our Savior came to serve others, how much more should we be of the same mindset? How much more should we reflect that? Should we have a desire to do what he did? And that doesn't mean that we're going to necessarily give our life, but it does mean that we're going to live our life in such a way as to value others and to serve them well. In Mark 9, verse 35, it says, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. In this passage here in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8, Jesus it focuses on Jesus serving us by going to the cross. But let's just be real. Jesus' whole life was service to other people, right? Jesus was willing to give of his time and his energy to those who needed it, to those that nobody else would give their time and energy to. He came from humble beginnings with a humble birth that we're going to celebrate here in a few weeks and over the next few weeks. He, a humble, humiliating death. And in between, he served people. He healed them. He fed them. He taught them. He took the position of a servant. When Jesus met with the disciples in the upper room shortly before he was arrested, what did he do? He went from sitting at the place of honor at the table to assuming the role of servant by washing the disciples' feet. He left the position of honor to take the lowly position, to wash the disciples' feet. You know, and said he sets aside his robe to do so. And by washing the feet of the people who would abandon him a short time later, one who would give him over to authorities, one that he even called Satan at one point, right? Jesus, being God, could have said, hey, Peter, or hey, John, or even hey, Judas, why don't you come wash my feet and all of your brother's feet? He could have done that. And because they were his followers, they probably would have had a pretty bad attitude about it, but they might have done it because Jesus commanded it. But that's not what Jesus does, right? Jesus leads by example. He set the example. He was the servant of all. He served those that others would say are unworthy and those that others would say are worthy because it's not for us to decide who is worthy and who is unworthy of being served. We're called to serve all as Jesus served all. We're called to be servants of the master by imitating 
the master. And guys, with God as our master, he's not a slave driver. He's not. He's good. And he never asks us to do anything that he wouldn't have done himself. That's a good leader, right? Someone who's willing to do the things they're asking us to do. And so for him to humble himself to the point that he did, we have no excuse. We don't. And one thing we need to be mindful of is the extent at which we're to serve in obedience. Jesus' obedience to the Father took him all the way to the cross, and it cost Jesus his life. The pinnacle of his humility. Being innocent, but still offering his life for those who were guilty. For you and for me. And so our service can be costly. Philippians 1 actually begins uh, with Paul referring to himself as a servant. That's how he introduces himself at the beginning of the book. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. He introduces himself as a servant, and then what does he do very shortly after that? Uh, a few verses later, he speaks of being imprisoned for the gospel. That's where he jumps to. For you and I, maybe it isn't costly to that extent, but it may require us to sacrifice something. This sermon series that Pastor Tim's been leading us through has been dealing with generosity. Generous partnerships, generous gospeling, which I think is a wonderful word, by the way. Generous giving and generous service today. And the thing about generosity is that sometimes it hurts and sometimes it takes sacrifice. Church, when was the last time you or I had to sacrifice something in order to serve someone else? In order to put their interests above our own? See, Jesus did, and we're called to imitate him. It's one thing to serve others, but to serve to the point of being uncomfortable is different. we got to be okay with that, because we're not called to comfort. And so this leads to the last point then. What is there to gain from living a life of service, right? We're like, well, we're called to do this. We do it because Jesus said so, but what is there to gain? And we read about that in verses 9 through 11. Like, we can have a good reputation, right? We can feel good about the things that we did to help other people. We can make other people feel good, but there's more. It ends with being honored by the Father. Let's read this in verses 9 through 11. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I know what you're saying, but, but Drew, God, the Father is honoring Jesus. He's not honoring us here. We'll get there, okay? We'll get there. <laughs> Don't jump the gun on me yet. We'll get there. And so Jesus comes to earth as a man. He lays aside his rights. He lays aside his position, his place at the right hand of the Father, his riches and glory in order to serve humanity. And in the end, the Father highly exalts him, is what it says. And the term for highly exalted means to super elevate. That's fantastic. Like, he is elevated higher than anyone else ever could be. It's so fantastic. Look at that, that imagery right there. And so he's exalted, he's elevated higher than any other, and by exalting Jesus, that means that Jesus rules and reigns over all, because there is no one greater. And so the Father gives him the name that is above all names, and, and most scholars believe the name that it's referring to here is actually the name Lord, because he wasn't officially, as far as the work that he needed to do as Lord wasn't completed until his death and resurrection. 
and ascension. And so he's talking about Lord. He gives him the name Lord because the mission was now complete and he truly was Lord. And so when we choose to serve the Lord in obedience, guess what? When we give our lives to him, when we choose to serve him, we receive a new name too. We receive a new name too, y'all. We receive the right to be called children of God. We have a beautiful new identity, and I can tell you that the tru- that truth has been huge to me for the last several months, and I've been resting in that. Y'all, we get a new name. He gives Jesus this new name of, uh, this name of Lord and exalts him high, and he gives us a new name when we choose to follow him, that we are a child of God. And not only does the Father exalt him, but then guess what he does? He returns him to the position as king. Did you catch that? Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. So Jesus leaves this high position, takes the extremely low position, and God exalts him and raises him back up to that high position again. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess him as Lord. And so Jesus is restored to that position with an even greater title, and this glorifies the Father, is what verse 11 says. It glorifies him to do that. See, even Jesus didn't even take the credit there. The credit still goes to the Father. The glory and honor still go to the Father. And so the selflessness and the humility of the Son that leads to sacrificial service for others, his name exalted above every other, it glorifies the Father. And this is one of the reasons why Jesus was able to endure the horrible suffering he experienced was because he knew about the eternal. He was focused on the eternal. It says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And for those that choose to follow Jesus in this life, we bow and we confess with great joy and humility. But there are others that will confess him as Lord with despair and anguish because they didn't choose to do it here. And waited. For those of us that choose to follow Jesus in this life, we do so knowing that persecution will come. Because in Jesus' day, confessing Jesus as Lord meant denying that Caesar was Lord. And in doing so, that was punishable by death. And so when, when people at that time would, would confess that, they knew that there was, there was the, the possibility of death coming for them. Right? We're promised persecution. But we can do it joyfully because we have hope in the future to come. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul even speaks about pressing on toward the goal for the prize. And Paul himself was considering eternity. Now, the Father exalts the Son. He gives him a new name. And I want to, turn with, I want to ask you to turn, if you've got your Bibles, to John 12, 26. I want to give you a second to flip there, if you can. Or if you've got a phone, I don't care. I don't hear pages turn to the phone, but it doesn't matter. Uh, John 12, 26. It's a fantastic verse. It is a promise. It is a comfort. And this is where I said, hey, you remember how I said this was the Father exalting and honoring the Son? And I told you not to jump ahead of me. This is where we're getting at, all right? John 12, 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. This is Jesus speaking. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Yo, that's an incredible verse, y'all. If we serve Christ faithfully, we love him, we serve him, we give our lives to him, the Father will honor us. 
what? How amazing is that, right? Like, we don't deserve that. We aren't going to be as highly exalted as Jesus, for sure, but for our humble faithfulness and service to the Lord, it says God the Father will honor us. An attitude of humility that puts others first isn't anything like you see in this world, or I see in this world. We're not going to be honored for being humble in this world. We're not going to receive reward per se, maybe feeling good. But we are for eternity when we choose faithful service to the Lord. Jesus is highly exalted. He's honored by the Father. He's restored to his position at the Father's right hand. And for us as followers of Jesus, we receive a new name and a new identity as a child of God. And the Father honors us. And not only that, we have a room in the Father's house for all of eternity. He has a mansion with many rooms. And he goes to make a place for us. We get a room in that house for all of eternity. We never serve for nothing. We serve generously with eternity in mind. So the question remains, how do we respond to a passage like this? Uh, first, by praying for a Christ-like attitude of humility. By praying for a Christ-like attitude of humility. And i am be honest with you, this is an extremely tough prayer because it's going to be painful. Because praying for humility means that you're probably going to have to sacrifice something. It means that you're giving up pride, that I'm giving up pride. And we have to pray this, even if it's painful. Because it may require us to give things up in order to give ourselves out. It's going to require us to give something up to give ourselves out to others. Uh, another thing we can be doing uh, and we, as we respond is just simply thanking Jesus for his sacrifice for us on the cross. Y'all, we can never get tired of thanking Jesus for the work that he did for us to give us salvation. We should never grow tired of thanking him for that. Daily, hourly, minutely, I don't care because the only reason we're still alive at this moment to the next moment is because God sustains us. We should be thankful to him always. And the last thought here was to, by committing a lot to a life of sacrificial service that imitates Jesus. So that's the third one. Commit to a life of sacrificial service that imitates Jesus. You know, this week, we focus on hope for Advent. This passage offers us hope. I hope you all saw that throughout these verses. That even when we fail to live with humility, Jesus still chose humility. He still went to the cross to pay for your sins and for my sins. He still suffered for you and for me in order to reconcile our relationship with God. And there is hope for the sinner and there is hope for the saint. So let me finish this morning with one more passage of scripture. It's found in Matthew 11, verse 29. Uh, I'd also recommend reading the book that uh, goes along with this, by the way. It's a book uh, called Gentle and Lowly. Uh, dead if you haven't read it it really dives into the heart of christ um, and here's what this verse says in matthew eleven twenty nine. 29 jesus says take up my yoke and learn from me because i am lowly and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls jesus describes himself 
as lowly and humble in heart. And we have this example in Jesus in whom we can follow without fear because he's already done what he's asking us to do. Attitude reflects leadership. Let us be reminded this morning that an attitude of humility leads to actions of generous service. And may we be able to describe ourselves as Jesus did, as lowly and humble, as we seek to serve him and to serve others. Let's pray together. God, as always, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it brings truth. God, that you desire to use it to do a work in our lives. God, even a topic like this one, tying together humility and service. God, whatever things that we're clinging to, allow us to let go of them this morning. God, allow us to put our pride aside in order to be more like you. During the song, I just want to encourage you to respond how you need to, to meditate on the word, to read the word that we looked at together this morning. Um, to respond to the gospel and the message of salvation through Jesus. But I want to encourage you not to let this opportunity go by without thanking God and considering what he has next for you this morning. God, just use this time however you need to in each of our hearts and our minds. In your name I pray, amen.